We Turned Out Okay is a show about children and families. You get to see into the mind of a child development expert, and you'll learn tons about kids and why they do what they do. It's for grown-ups, so it's not always G-rated. But it's almost always PG. And we'll let you know when it's PG-13 or higher. Also, you can expect some rabbit holes and detours. But we return to the topic at hand. Besides, rabbits are awesome. What have you got against rabbits? Anyway, sit back, relax, and prepare to learn about how to stay sane while raising your little kids. Enjoy the show! Come on, guys! We turned out okay. The modern parent's guide to old school parenting. I want to hang upside down from the swing set. Welcome to We Turned Out Okay with host Karen Locke Cole. I want to climb to the top of that tree. And now, here's your host, Karen Locke Cole. Hello, and welcome to episode 294 of We Turned Out Okay. This is the show where we're always helping you change your child's behavior from bad to good, feel happy inside, and truly enjoy the time that you spend with your kids. And I'm super excited about this one today. I hope you get as much out of this conversation as I did. Um, I get to talk to Dan Weissman, who uh, has been in, you know, a bunch of places um, as a journalist, as an investigative journalist, and he has started a creative project that um, it, it's really becoming kind of a movement. And it, it has to do with helping people figure out healthcare, especially in our, uh, in our country of the United States, where things are a little messy in terms of healthcare. And I am so excited that he came on the show. Dan, if you're listening, thank you. Thank you so much for being a guest here on We Turned Out Okay. You've got amazing ideas, and I'm excited to bring them to everybody. So uh, before we get to that, this is the pre-show. Welcome to the pre-show. I am Karen Locke-Kolp. I am your host. I am also uh, an expert in child development, and I have a, a... uh, not just this podcast, but a whole website called weturnedoutok.com. And um, I do, there's a lot going on over there. So go check it out. And I am super happy that you are here. I, I have a couple of things I want to share in this pre-show before we get to the main event. This thing, you can think of this as the warm-up uh, if you want to. And so I think the first things I'm going to say have to do with like, we turned out okay, uh, upcoming things and, and things that I usually do in the we turned out okay universe. And um, the first one of those is the magic words for parents. So every week in Facebook, every Monday in Facebook, I do a super quick, it's like three to five minutes long, uh, just a little um, thing that I call magic words for parents. It's a Facebook live. And Every week I try to give you some small either idea, sometimes just a single word, sometimes a phrase or a sentence that you can bring into your parenting life, into your parenting week and make it make it, you know, a better week with that, hopefully. Um, So that is off until this coming Monday. Um, It's been off for for August. And uh, so it is Monday the 10th that it's coming back. So you can look forward to that. If you are not a member of the We Turned Out Okay Facebook group, click the links in the show notes and then you can, or I guess it's really just one link, click the link in the show notes and you can um, join over there, watch those. Um, a lot of times what I do is 
I will jump in there before an interview and I will say, hey, does anybody have any questions for these uh, for these upcoming people? So uh, recently I interviewed Biz and Teresa from the One Bad Mother podcast. And uh, just before I did that, I was able to jump into the Facebook group and say, does anybody have any questions for Biz and Teresa? And then I was able to bring those questions onto into that conversation, which you will hear in just a couple of weeks. So, um, so there's another reason to join the Facebook group. You, uh, may be able to have your question, you know, get your question in front of other, uh, podcasters or parenting experts that you really love and respect. And, and, um, so you could be doing that as well. Okay. Another thing that's coming up in, in a couple of weeks and in two weeks. So that conversation is going to be out in three weeks, the one with Biz and Teresa. Um, the week before that, I'm doing an entire show on how to handle it when your child embarrasses you in public. And what I would love is, uh, during the break, if you have specific situations, situations where your child has embarrassed you in public or is embarrassing you continue if it sort of keeps happening um and you either want to share about them because it you just it just feels good to be able to say like this is what's happening in my house um and then we can give you a hug so there's definitely that but also if you want sort of ideas or advice about how to how to change that up um just write to me karen at we turned out okay.com or you can go to we turned out okay.com slash contact and links will be right in the show notes so for all of this every time i say a dot com it, you'll find it in the show notes um and then you can let me know um about an embarrassing situation that your child has gotten you into and um and what we can, you know, I can hopefully share some advice about what we can do with that but also we can just you know know that like it's okay and um you know, every, every, everybody's kids do these things. We probably did them. I know I had embarrassing things that I did when I was a kid. Um, and you know, sometimes just being able to have that camaraderie about it and like, and know that we're all in this together. Um, and it'll be okay. I, I hope that that helps you as well. Um, so yeah, so share your, your potential embarrassed in public moments with me and, um, I will, uh, get you some help for that and, or just a hug because <laughs> those are helpful too. Um, I, this is something that I don't usually, uh, talk about on the show. Like when I go on to other shows, but I wanted to share this one with you all. Um, I recently was interviewed by Jess and KJ. So Jessica Leahy and KJ Delantonio, who've both been on my show and they brought me onto their show, which is for writers. It's called hashtag M writing. And, uh, they brought me onto their show to talk about what it's like to write when you literally don't use your hands at all, which is to write, which is how I am. And, um, it, but it's, it's, it was ended up being more than that. It was really about like, what do you do when it's hard to get your, your work done? You know, when it's either physically demanding or mentally challenging or both. And, um, I wanted to feature it. I'm going to link to the show note to this episode in the show notes of their show, because, um, it might give you a sense of, it might just give you a different sense of me as a, as a person and some of the, some of the challenges that I have faced and kind of what I did about them. One thing I will say is uh, we share a lot in that, in that episode, we talk a lot about how like there would be no, we turned out okay at all. If I didn't get the chronic illness, um, that, that had to come first because before that I wasn't, 
I wasn't in the, was basically wasn't in the right like headspace for it. So um, if you want to just hear about your host from a different perspective, you can go to, I will link to it in the show notes, but um, you can find it in, in whatever podcatcher you listen in. Uh, it's, it's the hashtag I'm writing podcast. It's episode 174 and it's called hashtag when it's really hard. And, um, you know, I, I hope you like, I listened back to it and, and it's funny cause while I was in it, I was feeling a little bit like, this is so disjointed. Like I'm not answering things well. And I'm, you know, I, I think in an interview it's, it's easy to stress about things like that, but listening back to it, I really felt differently. I felt like, um, I, I don't know. I was really appreciative that, uh, that they brought me on the show. I was the whole time, but then to be able to, um, to share, like one of the things I do actually is I give like five sort of the five things that have been most helpful for me in my journey. And, um, you might find them helpful in your journey, even as a parent, because like you have to be in a certain, uh, again, using the word headspace, you have to be in a certain mental spot to be able to be happy in your parenting. And if you want to accomplish anything in life, like you have to be in a good spot to do it. And, um, so that's, that's just a lot about that. And, uh, I, again, I'm so grateful to Jess and KJ for having me on. Um, that was just super fun and a, and a real treat. Um, and you know, as I said, a different side of me that you don't often see. So, so those, that's kind of what's going on in the, we turned out okay universe. Um, next up, I'm talking about the parenting news. And this is again, one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite, segments of the show. We've only been doing this for, I think, three or four months, and it's become like a, a an impossible to miss kind of kind of part of the either the warm up in, in a guest interview or during the break in a, like a regular um, kind of episode of the show. And this week I am. So Dan Weissman is married to Devorah Heitner. She's a she's a longtime friend of the podcast um, and she is an expert in raising kids in this digital world. Like her website is called raisingdigitalnatives.com. And I, she was really wonderful. She was gracious, uh, so gracious to uh, get on the phone with me in um, like in an after sort of in the morning, I said, Hey, you're a person who knows a lot about YouTube and dealing with YouTube. And like within minutes, she was like, Oh my gosh, yes, let's talk about this today. So, so that day, she and I got on a Zoom call, which I was able to record. And you she, you know, she gave me some really great ideas to bring um, to a, a newsletter, a parenting newsletter that I did about the dangers of YouTube and how to protect your child. And um, so one of the quotes that she gave me in that article, I'll just read to you right now, she says, um, she says, she talks a lot about um, how, well, I'll just read this quote. (laughs) It has to do with teaching your child to become an investigator. So Devorah says, some YouTubers are just doing silly stuff and it's funny and entertaining, but there are people who are absolutely out there to recruit your kids. And that's where you want to encourage them to find really good sources on the thing. If your kid cares about animals, what are the good sources about ecology or saving species? If your kid is concerned about the environment, what could they be reading that is a good source? Try to honor the fact that they're hungry for real information about the world and that they want to engage with real issues. And so that's just kind of one example of like the 
I think it's, she's so amazing for just helping me think differently about something I'm really worried about. Devorah has like these amazing ways to help me feel better about them. And she wrote an article, and this is what I'm going to link to. This is the Parenting News um, article. She wrote it on her website. It's called What Kids Are Really Watching on YouTube and How Parents Can Deal With It. And again, super helpful <laughs> because she takes, she talks me down off the ledge kind of a thing because um, we you sort of hear about like the dangerous place in the dangerous things going on in YouTube. And you, you think about like, is it really safe to let my child be there? And in fact, in the, in the article that I posted in the newsletter that I posted that Devorah contributed to, she tells, she tells me that for young kids, it is, there is no way for a young child to be in YouTube alone. She basically says you must always be with them when they are watching YouTube and so I would say that's probably until maybe age seven or eight, at which point you can start helping them. And you can even do this before, but you can start uh, helping them figure out where to get good information on the issues that they're interested in. Um, and so you might just have to commit yourself to watching, uh, either limiting their YouTube time or watching YouTube with them. Um, and so you're going to end up probably watching a lot of kind of th to you might not be the most thrilling things in the world, unboxing videos or, or replays of um, video games that they like or something like that. But if you let them do that alone, um, you'll very quickly get to a point or you can very quickly get to a point where what they're watching is something that you never, ever want your child to see like ever in their whole lives, uh, even when they're grownups. Um, so you know what? I'm going to link to both of these, both the in parenting news, both the you, the posts that I did on YouTube, because I think that's where you'll get a lot of good information about um, what to do when your kids are young. But then I also uh, am shouting about Devorah and her article about like, what are they watching and, and how can you deal with it? Um, because it's, it's an, it's a really great essay about the love hate relationship that we have with YouTube and basically how to how to help your child deal with that. So so that's the parenting news. Um, I love supporting Devorah and I really love doing it in in a in an episode in which we are going to spend a lot of time talking with her husband. You're going to get to hear from her husband. And um, I think it's I think this is just an amazing couple. Um, they're just such great people. And, uh, yeah, you know, that's. I know I feel a little fangirlish um, and maybe I am a little bit and maybe that's okay because like when you, when you meet people like this, you just want to hear from them and spend time with them. So that's what I'm helping you do today, hopefully. <laughs> All right. So next up, I am not in training anymore uh, because the book that I was in training to write, like I sort of was treating it like a marathon and updating you um, as to how it was going. That book is now out in the world. It is called Educating Happy Kids. It's available now. It's got nine ways that you can help your children learn what they need to know. And um, it is available exclusively for the moment at weturnedoutok.com slash books. And when I say I'm not in training anymore, what I mean by that is I was having such a hard time. I was really blocked in terms of the writing because I... Um, I kept getting held up by all these other things. So for example, like formatting for paperback and how to make it an audiobook and all those kinds of things, they will be coming. But right now, what I really wanted for you is to have the ebook 
available for you. Um, it is for sale at weturnedoutokay.com slash books. There's just a quick PayPal link that you can use to get it. Um, and it is, it's only, it's $2.99 uh, for the ebook. And it's going to be more when it ends up in Amazon. Um, it, it's, it's going to be, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to raise the price or, or Amazon anyway, we'll raise the price. And, um, I want you to have it now. If you're listening now, go grab it. <laughs> um, because then you can get the benefits of like knowing the kinds of things that are going to help your children learn what they need to know, um, and, and help them enjoy life now and help you enjoy life with them, but also help them even later when, um, you know, the, the sort of things I'm teaching in this book, the sorts of things that are going to help your child, like through their whole life. So, um, so go and check it out. I hope it resonates with you. And it's something that you find helpful. Um, if you are a Ninja Parenting community member, if you're a Ninja Parent, you uh, have, you are entitled to a free copy of it. So you can go into the forums and get your free copy of Educating Happy Kids. Um, yeah. So, so that's what's, I'm so excited about that to have that book out for you. It doesn't even have a cover yet because that was one of the things that was holding me back. And so I thought I'm going to continue to work on it. I'm excited about making a cover, but I needed to get it out in the world first and then um, build these other things back in later. So I, I really, really hope it's helpful. So thank you so much for all of your emails and for your shout outs in places like Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I really appreciate it. It it helps me know that I'm kind of on the right track and, and doing something that works for you and is really, is really good for you. Um, so thank you very much for that. Thank you also for sharing about the show. Thank you for subscribing so that you never miss an episode. Um, and thank you also for your positive reviews. I do sometimes read them out on the show and, um, they just mean a lot to me. Um, which is kind of why I do that. Like I do a little happy dance when somebody says something nice about we turned out okay. And I, um, I'm just so thankful to you that you are getting something out of the show that I'm able to help you. Um, that, that just really, really, really means a lot. So I, um, I guess to that end, like if the pod, so the podcast is, is wonderful and fun, but it's really quite long form. I do say at the beginning, or you hear, you hear our wonderful producer and my husband, Benjamin Culp, say at the beginning that it's a long form show where you get to look into the mind of a child development expert. I think that's really key and important. Um, but if you want something that is, is a little bit more a streamlined, a little bit more distilled so that you, um, you know, you don't have to dedicate 45 minutes of your time to it. Um, I have been creating a weekly parenting newsletter and uh, it is, it's exactly that. So it's, it's, it's more of a distillation of the kind of things that we talk about here on the show. But if you've got, you know, five or 10 minutes to read a newsletter, you can have them delivered right into your inbox. Um, I've just finished up with a four-part series on on how to start the school year off right. And through sort of October, probably into October anyway, I am attaching links at the bottom of every one of these newsletters so that um, you'll always have that to go back and read if you would like. So there'll, there'll be a, news, a new newsletter each week, each Wednesday, I send them out. Um, and you can read it, but then you can also at the bottom of it, you'll know that like the, um, the four part series on having a starting the school year off right is going to be there for you. So you don't like have to go searching for it on my website or something like that. So, so subscribe to that by going to we turned out okay.com slash weekly W E E K L Y. And 
uh, that I think if you do that, um, you know, people are finding it really, really helpful. And I'm hearing from them about that. So if you've written to me, thank you so much. And um, if you subscribe to it, thank you also. If you've got ideas for what you want to see in a weekly parenting newsletter, um, just hit reply to one of them and let me know. (laughs) And that way I can I can get that to you. So um, today's show is brought to you by the amazing Janine Halloran, friend of the podcast, expert in teaching kids coping skills. And she has created something that I know you will absolutely love. And I will share more about that in a moment. Janine's sponsorship pays for production, editing, and web hosting for We Turned Out Okay. But before we get to that, my time in creating this show is supported by the members of our Ninja Parenting community. If you're listening to this show, you'll know that I specialize in helping parents get out of a negative space, get past the tough parts of raising kiddos, and get into the fun stuff. I can do way more of that with the ninja parents in our private coaching community than I could ever do on We Turned Out Okay. I teach ninja parents how to get good behavior from their children, how to handle their toughest parenting struggles, how to feel in tune with their kids, and enjoy family time for real. The Ninja Parenting Community works because it's all online, so there's help for you 24-7 wherever you live and whatever your time zone. It's personalized to you, so you can always get help with whatever part of raising kids is most challenging for you. It's always growing because our members share their challenges and struggles. I create help with personalized videos, worksheets, and other offerings, and it contains deep and broad learning to help you most in your parenting. Learn more and become either a monthly or an annual member by going to WeTurnedOut okay.com slash join npc that is all one word join npc and now a word from our sponsor today's show is brought to you by the amazing janine halloran creator of something i know you will love called coping cue card decks you already know janine she's been on the show lots of times and she teaches important stuff about how to help your kids develop the coping skills necessary for handling the curveballs that come at them To that end, Janine has created five different, beautiful, and super useful card decks that she calls the Coping Skills for Kids Coping Cue Cards. I asked her what she most wants you to know about these, and here's what she said. The cards are a fantastic visual reminder at those times when words are unable to get through. We know those times, right? By exploring and identifying skills when kids are calm, those visuals are available to use when kids are starting to have big feelings. So each week, Janine has given me permission to describe in depth one of the cards from one of the decks and explain why it's so helpful. So today's card is from the sensory deck. I love this because she's got these different decks talk about uh, share different ways. Like if you have a child who... um, is, uh, you know, who really is, is into movement, who like kind of can't, uh, contain their body movements and they want to be moving all the time. There's a deck called the movement deck. And today is, um, if your child really likes to engage on a sensory level. So in other words, if they, um, if, if either sensory things set them off or if they, um, just, uh, you know, have a real affinity for, for the different kinds of senses that we that we humans come equipped with, um, well, this might be the deck for for you. So uh, it's called the sensory deck, and the one that, the coping cue card that I loved that really resonated with me from this deck out of forty four. There's forty four cards, um, so this is just one of them. Is make a pillow or blanket fort. So um, it, it it instantly brought me back to when my kids were young. And even when they were into their sort of like 
age 10, 12 years old, they loved making pillow forts. And I never thought of it as a sensory experience. But now that I think about it, like if you think back to when you built a pillow fort when you were small, and um, maybe somebody helped you build it. But anyway, when you're in there, and it's like so quiet and wonderful, and, and there's just this feeling of like being cozy and safe, and um, all the things that like might set off a child's sensory um, issues are, are, are dulled by being inside something like a pillow fort. And then the, the creation, the fun of like building it and creating it, um, is also a great, a great thing. So that's just one example of some of the cards, you know, of, of this particular deck in this, in, in Janine's coping cue card decks. And so I hope you find that helpful, but also I hope it makes you want to know what else is in here. These are amazing. Janine has worked, uh, really hard to make them beautiful and, um, really, really helpful. So each deck includes at least 40 cards, most like this one have 44, to help your child deal with sensory overload, getting distracted, learning to relax, and more. The coping cue card decks offer tons of strategies that come that come in handy at home, at school, or wherever you go. Use them to help your child learn the skills to cope with problems. As a visual reminder to use one of the coping skills, perhaps by placing its card on the fridge or another place at home. As a way to expand your child's toolbox of coping skills and as conversation starters. What do you think Mona would do now? Because each, each cue card deck has a couple of characters in it and one of them happens to be named Mona. They are a great help while traveling, sitting in a restaurant, at social events, and more. Click the show notes, click the link in the show notes, or go to copingskillsforkids.com slash coping hyphen Q hyphen cards. When you do that, you're not only supporting our show, which you are doing. It's I'm so grateful to Janine for being a sponsor. You're also giving your kids critical tools for coping with challenging stuff. You're giving them tools they'll be able to use all of their lives. So go to copingskillsforkids.com slash coping hyphen Q hyphen cards. And now on with the show. guest today was always an investigator. You may have heard his voice on Marketplace, the BBC, 99% Invisible, All Things Considered, the Reveal podcast, and elsewhere. And recently, he has been working on a show. He started a show that means so much to me personally that it survived my recent digital reset, which is saying a lot. Um, it's called An Arm and a Leg, and it is about the nuttiness of American healthcare. On his personal webpage, my guest writes, an arm and a leg will be entertaining, empowering, even useful. As a reporter, I'll bring my skill at finding and telling revealing, surprising stories. But the project's big focus, since I'm in this mess too, is connecting and problem solving together. Additionally, today's guest is the husband of friend of the podcast, Devorah Heitner, who wrote the book Screenwise and visited We Turned Out Okay back in episode 116, which I will link to in the show notes. I mentioned Devorah because during the first season of An Arm and a Leg, she and today's guest move in a healthcare sense from the lovely and stable Sweden to the daunting and frightening USA. And they talk about what that transition has been like. I'm so excited to talk about this and so much more with today's guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dan Weissman. Welcome, Dan. Thanks so much for having me. 
I'm so excited to have you here. I uh, have been a huge fan of an arm and a leg uh, pretty well since the beginning, since I found, first found out about it. And um, I love it because it's hopeful. <laughs> it's not like we're all just in this and, you know, it's a plane that is that is that is headed towards the ground. It's 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 it gives hopeful and helpful uh, stories. And I really am excited to dive into some of those today. Um, can you, I'd love to start with this. Can you explain about your healthcare situation and what it means <laughs> that you went from, uh, quote, Sweden to the USA in a healthcare uh, sense? <laughs> thank, thank you so much for saying such nice things about the show. Oh, and, sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, to clarify at first, like we didn't literally move from Sweden to the United no, States. No, exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. That It was not a literal move. It was, you guys are still sort of in Chicago, right? In the Chicago area? Yeah, right. No, we, have, we haven't moved at all uh, in a physical sense. And um, and and Sweden is is a, is a is kind of Devorah's term. Mm -hmm. uh, she has said for a long time that if you have the right kind of job, it's like you live in Sweden, and um, you know, and you get really great healthcare. You don't have to think about how much it costs and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, and that I had you know throughout until recently, at least one of us had a job where you know we didn't have to think about the cost of health insurance or healthcare very much because yeah. we you know. We had jobs that took care of that stuff for us. And DeVore, of course, has been out on her own for as a running her own business for a bunch of years now. So it was me doing that. And then a couple of years ago, I was like, you know, I don't think this job that I'm in, it's not the job I should stay in. And, you know, and, I, it, and you know, I had to leave. Yeah. And, um, you know, at some point, and, and that was a bit of a problem because we didn't have the next job lined up next. I'm a reporter. And those kind of jobs, especially if you're not ready to move to wherever, uh, they are... They, they do not, they're not out there so much. Yeah. And so there were things to do to like, oh, well, you know, I, I, I've worked a lot of places. I could freelance. There's lots of freelance work to do, but it didn't solve the problem of like, well, where's the health insurance supposed to come from? Yeah. So that was a bit of a problem. And so I, I spent a while, like we knew that we would be making a transition. Like there's something we kind of planned. Can I, can I ask and, you, just interrupt to ask, yeah. like, are we talking you knew over a period of weeks, months, like how long in advance did you sort of start thinking about this? It's a super good question. Um, well, for months. Yeah. I yeah. mean, we knew we didn't, we hadn't kind of set a date, but we knew like, yeah, this is, this is, I got to kind of find my next footing. And we had known we'd kind of, you know, start socking away pennies and making plans. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, to say like, okay, like when, when the time comes, like we're going to have, it's going to be, uh, we're going to have to, we're going to have a lot to figure out. Yeah. We have to be ready to kind of be on this bridge for a while. <laughs> and you are raising a child as well. So we are, yeah. we are, we are. Our guy is 10 years old now. So it's a couple of years ago, he was eight. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, one way or another, the time came and, you know, we didn't quite know where the bridge was going to head, but we were like, okay, we're, we're, we're going. Mm -hmm. Um and we knew, you know, there's a there's a thing called COBRA, which is uh, for most people, if your job provides your health insurance, you can use this law called COBRA to say, uh, I'd like I'd like to, you know, keep my health insurance that my job normally offers, but I'm going to pay for all of it now. Mm -hmm. um, and you can do that for 18 months. So we kind of knew we would have that much time. Um, so as long as we could, it would like, be a lot more above water. It would be a lot to, more expensive, right? Yeah, uh, well, it's more expensive than if your employer is paying for it. Yeah, yeah Cobra. Sure. I know to go on that. I've I've had friends who've done that, and it's your your site because you get to keep the same insurance. But now right. you are the person paying for all of it, right? Sorry to interrupt right. again, but I just wanted to. 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. Item. No, it can feel very expensive because, you know, good employer plan, um, you know, if, it, if it's a good plan, it can cost a lot. And depending on where you work, um, you know, it depends on who's working there and how old the people are who work where you work and it can be expensive. Mm -hmm. um, it can be, and it certainly feels really expensive. So, you know, we did the math and we looked at, uh, can we, do we want to replace it with Obamacare right away? And the answer was no, <laughs> no, not right <laughs> away. Because, you know, we're adults and we have like, you know, we have our medical histories and we have, um, in our cases, you know, I, I have like a, little heart thing that I was born with. And I see somebody every year just to check in, make sure it's okay. But mm -hmm. like, I looked at the statements, you know, I hadn't had to think about what that all that what all that cost. Um, but I looked at the statements from the insurance. And you know, it was like in the <clears throat> basically like the one test or the two tests and the one doctor visit that, you know, I would go for every year. Uh, that ran into the 1000s and 1000s of dollars. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there were other like providers that we kind of rely on being able to see. And like Obamacare didn't cover any of the specific people that we see. And in some cases we're we even cared about seeing those people. Yeah. Like none of the Obamacare plans in Illinois where we live wow. um, covered the people that we kind of relied on seeing. So we were like, I guess we're not doing that. <laughs> um, yeah. So it was, it was pretty crazy. So that's, that's the sense in which we had been, we'd been kind of in, in the Sweden of, uh, the lovely Sweden, cozy Sweden of employer-sponsored health insurance. And then it was like, well, okay, now you can pay the entire premium and you can only do that for 18 months. And then you got to find some other, you got to find some other health insurance. Plan. Yeah. Yeah. So we didn't, we didn't know what that was going to be. And um, so I had been thinking that I would make my own, I would, I would, I would use that time to get a new career so that by the end of the 18 months, I'd have another job. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> in some other field. Yeah. And, and I spent a few months just kind of like pulling, like girding my loins and like really doing a lot of reflection about what that might be. And I was like, okay, I'm not, I still don't know what it's going to be, but like basically January 1st, 2018, I am going to start looking for a new career. And then in December, I was like, no, wait a minute. <laughs> there is this one thing I could try, yeah. which is, uh, which is this this issue? Like this is a the question of the of the cost of healthcare and how it shapes people's lives. This is a story I had been pitching to the places that I've been working for years, oh. and because I because I well because I kind of knew that it was a big driver in in our lives, even though we had our way of managing it. Like I had jobs and I liked my jobs, but like you know there were some jobs I liked better than others. But it was always like okay, man, we this is the job with the health insurance that we got for right now. Yeah. So it was always a big. Like this was not the very first time I'd been like, okay, where's the health insurance coming from? And um, and just being aware that like we had that that we had, you know, that we we relied on that, and and um, being aware that like as a reporter you run into these stories, and as a person you run into these stories. Yeah. You know, on your Facebook, it's like your friend is like, hey, the doctor found this thing, my dentist found this tumor in my jaw. And my insurance won't cover it because they say it's dental. Oh god! And so I'm getting making a GoFundMe, right? Or the friend who's like, "Oh, I had a seizure, and now they say I have this like unknown, undiagnosable thing, and my insurance isn't really covering it." Like, here's my GoFundMe. Like, that's everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And all of us know those stories. Or like, or you go to the doctor, and the doctor's like, "Oh, you should have a vitamin D test. You had a vitamin D. No, I haven't had it. I'll go down the hall. I'll give you a test." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, I had a test." And like, yeah, and you know, you get two things later. And one is a phone call from the doctor saying, your vitamin D is fine. And then a couple of months later, it's like, 
that test was $500. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we, we have experienced this in our own lives. We've, we've seen other people, you, you know, you talk on, uh, there's one particular episode where you talk about a guy who, um, who sort of has a, he gets a pretty bad cut on one of his fingers, um, while he's operating a saw mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he is on the way to the emergency room going like, can I afford this? Can I, yeah. like, I have to make this choice. Right. But, but it's, it's scary to make. And I just, so I'm sure that everybody that you meet comes up to you and says, oh, I've got to tell you this, this story. Right. And, um, yeah. I have a couple of those from just from our family. So the first one is, is more maddening and frustrating than it is like financially awful. But, yeah. um, I have a tendon disorder and I've had it mm-hmm. for eight years. Um, I got it, uh, it sort of it was linked to a digestive issue that I had and the antibiotics that I took and and they have you know the theory anyway is that they've created this is like the rheumatologist theory my primary care mm. doctor's theory etc that what happened was um, the tendon problem was linked to the antibiotics and I'm yeah. just one was of it those Lovequin? those it was uh, it was one of the fluoroquinolones um, I'm, yeah. I'm it was called Keyflex was it called Keyflex mm-hmm. I can't remember anyway anyway the 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 issue in it was fluoroquinolones. And of course, nobody knew that at the time. And what was happening was I just had like I lost the ability to walk more than a few steps. And I I um, when I regained that, um, you know, it took 18 months. But when I rehabbed my legs, then I then I blew the tendons out in my thumbs. And we've now got this sort of diagnosis where it's recurrent diffused tendinopathy, which basically means I can develop scar tissue anywhere at any time from overuse and stress. (laughs) And. At its worst, when I was using my hands, like for I, I had like five percent use of a normal person's hands. Our health and our my husband, our health insurance comes through his company, and our health care changed. Uh, it, I believe it stayed. It was the same like brand, but it, mm-hmm. they they sort of redid their accounting, and um, it became. It, it so killed me what it was called. It became the Your Choice Plan. <laughs> and <laughs> and you're laughing already, right? So our choices were Your choice. we, we'd get yeah. to keep all of our what doctors. What do you want to do? Exactly. Um, Hell we, or high water, what will it be? Exactly. Oh, so frustrating. So um, we had one kid at the time who, for example, was going to... Um, he, he was seen by a doctor at Children's Hospital in Boston, um, which because they are the best at, you know, at what they do... Um, they're not, quote, efficient, which made them a tier mm-hmm. three, the highest tier. So so the care that he got there would mm-hmm. could be as much as like a $1,500 copay versus like mm-hmm. if we were going to get that care in some tier one place, it would be, uh, I think it was 100 or 200 for the same services. And it, so that was a killer. And plus, I'm, I'm seeing different doctors and stuff like that um, right. at the same time. And just to have it be called the Your Choice Plan, it just felt like they were... It was. It felt like the most monumental insult. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. in the end, I think what I mean, what happened with me was I. I for, thankfully I've not needed medicine. Like medicine hasn't. We've tried some different medications and they just haven't helped. What really helps me is um, moving stress out of my life, keeping exercise mm-hmm. and good nutrition in my life, and um, mm-hmm. you know when I need it, like manipulative therapy and ma- massage and physical therapy and stuff like that. So for me, it hasn't been a big deal. We now have a, a son. One of our kids has a medical problem that the only place in the nation that can treat it is the expensive tier three um, mm-hmm. hospital in in Boston. And and it's like I think what's most frustrating, this is what I really wanted to kind of talk about today yeah. with you. Um, yeah. is that in so we've we've of course I can't talk about what this is. I think I think my yeah. son would be very upset. Sure. But um 
we, when we first found out about it, we went to a tier one surgeon and they, for a hundred dollars, they actually, I don't even think it would cost anything because it would be inpatient surgery. So mm. for zero dollars, they would do a major surgery on our son with weeks and weeks of recovery and the chance for a rupture. Okay. Yeah. okay. <laughs> and for, um, the, the, the place where he is going, um, because thank God we can afford this. I mean, like it's pull, it's painful, mm. but we can afford it. He is having uh, non-invasive, non-surgical treatments uh, with a fifteen hundred dollar copay, wow. and it it is so. It's like how can how can it be right that somebody would would not have to go through all of the hospital stuff, and and still pay more? You know what I mean? And, and yeah, it, it's, it's it's such a killer. <laughs> yeah, right. It doesn't sound so efficient when you put it that way. No, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and when we've spoken to them, they basically say, when we spoke to the insurance company, what they say is, well, that's the prices that they charge. And, you know, that's that's why it has to be this way. It's, it's a really kind yeah. of a non-answer. Yeah. And um, so anyway, I guess the reason, one of the reasons I love your show is because there are stories like this from all over the, oh, yeah. the country. And um, people are really doing cool things in some cases, you know, the, the, you've, you've featured some people who are kind of standing up and and finding new ways. Like, for example, I would love if you would share about the um, the most recent episode as we're recording was the one about insulin and how yeah. there are people there are people working to create their own insulin. I mean, I, I, I know I don't I don't want you to feel like you have to spend, you know, an hour kind of outlining this. But, oh, but no, there's some really no, cool stories like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, you know, it, it, it's a bit of a moonshot, I, I would say, but I, and I'm not enough of a scientist to judge, but they, uh, they've they been working on this for like four years. These are folks in Oakland, California. Mm -hmm. The project is called the Open Insulin Project. It runs out of a uh, a kind of biohacker makerspace mm -hmm. in Oakland. And uh, the founder of the project is a type one diabetic and he, uh, and not a biologist or, you know, a doctor by training, but a smart enough guy, apparently. And um, and yeah, they are they just decided to like go figure it out to say, like, basically, how hard could it be if 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 we got, you know, the necessary equipment together and they think they have. And if we got some smart people, which they seem to be to really apply themselves for a while, this this could be a solvable problem that like we don't have to because there's only three companies that make and sell um modern insulin mm -hmm. and it's all you know there's kind of patents everywhere you look and there's no generics and it gets more and more expensive all the time so uh which is you know kind of its own thing yeah um so these guys were like well okay you know we're gonna we're gonna give this a shot so they 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 said at the outset about four years ago they were like we think this might be like a four or five year thing and when i talked to them today they were like we think we think we're on track we think they've 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 made a little bit of insulin. Wow. Um, they say the process needs a lot of refining, mm -hmm. but they really think that that's that they 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 think they know how to do that. And so then the next steps are to um, is to kind of you know do that and then figure out how best to distribute the knowledge that they've produced. Yeah. And kind of start start figuring out the like the legal and regulatory hurdles because they don't know, you yeah. know, are the big uh, pharma companies that do make insulin going to come after them yeah. um, with patent lawsuits? Will, what will the FDA have to say about this? And there are, um, 
there's a million technical, like technical legal and regulatory questions that they admit they don't really know the answer to, but hmm. they are, you know, they're just taking one step ahead at a time. Yeah. 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 You referenced that the people who first developed insulin back in the 1920s um, wanted it to be free for everyone. They wanted to give it, you know, give it away. And they yeah. because they needed funding. I, mean, I, don't know that they, I don't know that they would have said like we will that giving it that it being free. No. Or OK. Zero yeah. Charge was it was important to them, but they wanted it to not be a commercial enterprise. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Thank like you. There for would the be costs to make it. And they you know, it wasn't like we have to figure out how to how to get those costs paid by somebody other than the patient. But they were like, yeah, this is not a commercial thing. This is like a, you know, for humanity kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, not a for profit kind of thing. And and, and they, uh, you know, they, they had just scaled this tremendous mountain of like figuring out like what insulin is and how to and, you know, where it comes from and how to make it and all this other kind and that it worked. Um, and then they got they got uh, basically stymied. They had this other roadblock, which was they couldn't really make it at scale yeah and it needed to be made at scale because because type 1 diabetes without insulin is a death sentence and generally a speedy one and a really unpleasant one mm -hmm. and the only the only treatment that anybody had was a way to make it less speedy which was by starving people to death slowly yeah yeah and when you um, think about how many children have type 1 diabetes i mean yeah. it's just oh yeah yeah. Yeah. And it's typically, typically diagnosed in kids. Yeah. And so, yeah. uh, you know, they felt like it was really urgent to get somebody making insulin. So the, the, this company that was a lot smaller then, but was still much bigger than this, uh, university of Toronto research lab, Eli Lilly, uh, had been watching their research and kind of sweet talking them all along. And, uh, they eventually, they'd been kind of putting off Eli Lilly and then they were like, Okay, we give up. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah, we've reached we a point. We can't make this on our own. And Eli Lilly, you know, had a lot more capital to put into the project of like they had much bigger and better labs. They had tons of people, and I mean, interestingly, you know, they had because they had a profit motive. They were like, "Great, like we'll learn to make this. We'll do it. We'll put all this capital in, and then you know, we'll, it's going to be like printing money." And yeah. uh, that that is kind of uh, how. It, eventually came to be so you know what i i i, I want to ask you the question of if you've got any sort of favorite episodes but i i want to because i think that would be really fun to talk about but i i want to before we go to that um i i also want to ask you and this might i feel like this is a good place for it is do you have after all this investigating i mean you've now been doing this for like 18 months do you mm -hmm. have what are your thoughts on how we got here to this oh, yeah. mess <laughs> Yeah. Somebody told me this story, like in one of the very first interviews I did. And I've, I have now kind of read and talked to enough people and kind of seen enough. So this is, this remains a kind of, um, you know, kind of secondhand account of the kind of histories that people have written. Mm -hmm. But I, I think it goes, I think it goes something like this, that, uh, you know, once upon a time, <laughs> like before World War II, mm -hmm. uh, you know, things were different. And insurance, you know, like health insurance was a relatively new thing uh, by the time we got into World War II. Uh, and, um, but the other thing was that medicine was in a really different place. Like insulin isn't discovered until like the early 1920s and penicillin doesn't exist yet at that point. Mm -hmm. You know, the polio vaccine doesn't come along until the 1950s. Like this, this idea of big, uh, you know, science-driven, like cures for things mm -hmm. 
is is kind of a you know becomes more gets really wrecked rolling you know as the 20th century picks up a lot of speed um and you know somebody could come along and, and poke holes like i'm not I, again this is this is this is a kind of big generalization based on yeah, exactly it's very I, generalized I yeah but but yeah so but so medicine um both kind of like what doctors do and medicines like pharma are getting more sophisticated as the as the century rolls along and then insurance comes along and and creates a situation where suddenly more people kind of have access to it and that that amps up a lot in the 60s when medicare and medicaid add basically old people and poor people mm-hmm. to the to the to the pool of folks that also has has been including lots of employed people to make so by the, the by the you know middle of the 60s most people now have insurance okay and and so there's and you know again by the end of the 60s there's more like now things have really started to pick up speed and there's more and more interesting treatments there's more and more things that can be done and you know so so this is a bit of a this is a gift you know, to on, on the one hand, it's a gift to like people who need treatment. On the other hand, it's a gift to people who perform treatments. Yeah. And um, they're like, great. You know, pe- that like there's a there's a market now for not just physician services, but hospital services, other kinds of things. And so the the market kind of develops, and like they find that people these the insurers will pay for things, and gradually prices creep up, and there are more and more things to pay for again, like. You get new drugs, you get new surgeries, people try new things. And so by the 80s, um, you get this situation where people look around who are paying the bills, like heads of government and heads of corporations. They're saying like, hey, wait, this is getting kind of expensive. <laughs> because the the more, the more, I mean, the two things that have happened is like, there's more stuff for people to use. People are using more stuff, which is again, good. And, and prices keep kind of, rising and so it gets to the 80s and it's no longer like eh, that used to cost a nickel and now it's six cents and now it's more like this is a lot of my dollar right here Mm -hmm. and that and at the same time as i understand the history you know there's there's a fair amount of consolidation on the industry side and that like hospitals start to kind of consolidate into hospital systems um I, I get, you know, other companies that are involved in the, in this whole enterprise start merging. And so that's, and so by the, I mean, I can remember, this is how old I am. Like by the end of the eighties, I kind of remember hearing about it. It's like, oh, this is, things are getting expensive. People are looking for ways. And I, and that by the early nineties, right. you things are at a place where it's, it's a big national issue Yeah, where, you know, uh, Bill Clinton becomes president and Bill and Hillary Clinton are like, Great, we're gonna we're gonna deal with healthcare because so many people are uninsured and things are so expensive, and they totally fail. But there, you know, that's more than twenty five years ago now, and it was viewed then as a giant crisis that healthcare was unaffordable, too many people were uninsured, and it was too expensive, and that the and that and that there were that all these things that were being done, all the, there were a lot of little experiments. Um, there, like I remember hearing about HMOs. Yeah. Um, in the early nineties, which was this idea that like, you know, as from the patient's perspective, like you're paying a lower premium. And if, as long as you just go to their doctors um, and see the people they tell you to see, um, then nothing costs very much to you out of pocket. But the downside is that like, if you want to see someone who's not on their list, like they're not helping you out at all. Yeah. It's really yeah. expensive and people experience. And that was a kind of, you know, 
that was one kind of homegrown capitalistic attempt basically to like, okay, how do we deal with the cost question? And so that's, we've, we've been in this place for, you know, that's what, 30 years ago now at least, where the way I've come to see it is there's a lot of people in a lot of different positions who view themselves as having a lot to lose, oh. no matter what anybody's kind of plan is. If you are running a pharma company, you've got a business model and a kind of model for running your business where it's like, we tell, we tell investors, we're going to make them a ton of money. And then we pour a lot of money into R&D. And then we just like take a lot of money out of the market. We charge like crazy. And if you were to stop, if you were to have a reform and stop from doing that, that's going to be a big problem. Because our, our investors are going to pull out, like our stock price is going to create, like mm-hmm. if I'm running that company, that's my worst case scenario, right? And, the, and similarly, insurers have built their business model to kind of work in the current system, to kind of work around what exists. Um, doctors and hospital systems, you know, similarly are like, well, if you do that, that could really hurt me. And mm-hmm. all of us too, not well, I wouldn't say all of us, but like enough people, you know, view themselves as like being able to imagine things being worse, right? So you're yeah. telling me the story about, you know, you've got this, uh, this condition, you could, your insurance company is telling you, you could go one place for a hundred bucks, another place for 1500 bucks. You might, you know, I could probably spin you a story where I'm like, well, imagine if you could never go to the place yeah. where they have the effective treatment, right? Like there's just, uh, there's always a story that someone can tell you unless you are at, I mean, you're at, you're at the point, as you say, where like, this is not comfortable. It feel, it, and it's not comfortable financially. Like that's a lot of money for me. Yep. And it's not comfortable emotionally. Like it feels wrong. Yeah. Like it feels wrong to be presented with your, a plan called your, your choice. choice. <laughs> Do you want like the crummy treatment uh, for a hundred dollars? That's like not very, that like isn't effective and yeah. carries a lot of risk yeah. and involves a lot of pain and inconvenience. For and your child, maybe right? Maybe questionable quality. Yeah. Like in terms of like whether it's even done well. Or do you want effective treatment that you pay out the wazoo for, given that you're already paying a lot for this health insurance? Because yeah. even if, you know, your employer is paying most of that tab of the insurance premium, that's money they could be paying you. Yeah. Right? I mean, that that is, you don't feel it coming out of your pocket. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You know, yep. That's, it's from their side, from the employer's side, it's all coming out of their personnel budget. Yeah. Yeah. And when the health insurance premium goes up, the the employer is like, well, okay, crap. Like now what do I do? Do I do I pass that along to my employees and tell them, well, your share of the premium is going up because it's all going up? Or do I change the plan? And I'm like, well, your benefits just got worse. Or do I uh, not give people raises because I'm just going to pay this premium. Like, yeah. I only have this much money. And and so, then you, some some people are going to be like, hey, you know, I don't have any kids. So, you know, give mm, me more money. And like, so there's all right. these, as you say, there's all these like stakeholders who are yes. all pulling. <laughs> in yes. the, you know, they're all pulling in their own direction. And it's like, yeah, if, if somebody drops that rope, the whole thing falls apart. Or it could, right? There's always the, and that, and that again, like, if you're a consumer, like the your the the hospital will be happy to tell you a story about like, well, if you reform the payment system this way, that 
we, we might not be able to provide this service for your family, mm-hmm. right? Or the pharma company's like, well, we can never develop a cure for that, those diseases now because you changed the system. Like everybody, ha- everybody who has something to lose is going to tell you a story about what you will lose yeah. if they lose. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, you described it so perfectly. It's like you feel trapped. You know, mm-hmm. they've really got us over a barrel here. We can either make our child suffer <laughs> and, and possibly with even with great risk. Yeah. Or we can we can pay up basically and yeah. your um, choice. Exactly, yeah. your choice. And uh it's it's just so frustrating and it yeah. it, it feels very bad. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. yeah. So yeah. so what I'd love to do is kind of talk about uh things that people are doing to counter this and and I would love to actually put this kind of as a double question. So I'm I suspect just from the from the way that you sound today and also from the way that you sound on your podcast that the ones you really like are the ones where people <laughs> are 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 doing cool things to not to fight back necessarily but to sort of to 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 feel like they can take a stand to to sort of feel mm. like I, I you know what's another choice to so there um Anyway, what I'd love is for you to kind of share if you have any favorite stories like that from from that you've of people that you've met over the course of your uh, of an arm and a leg. Well, thank you so much for asking that question. I, I mean, what comes right to mind are the the Renaissance Fair. Folks. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> yay, yay! Yay! I was hoping you talk about this you one. Like that one too. The yeah, the people people work at Renaissance Fairs. Uh, you know, frequently don't make a lot of money. Um, the, it's not a job that comes with insurance because these are people. Like these fairs, it's like there's a network of these fairs or networks of these fairs all over the country that are seasonal. So it's a real, it's it's a gig economy. Um, you know, people work one place for two months and hop, you know, someplace else across the country for a couple months. And so, you know, these are not full-time jobs with health insurance. And even if people buy health insurance someplace or get Medicaid someplace, well, that plan only covers them in the state where they get it frequently. Oh. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, now I'm in it, it's 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 wintertime. I'm in Texas in the summer. I'm in New York. Right. Yep. Um, and so that is a big that's a big issue. Like having reliable, good insurance is a big issue for those folks. And, you know, some of these jobs are kind of dangerous walking on walking on ropes, juggling things that are on fire, um, you know, roasting a lot of turkey legs in a kind of primitive <laughs> condition. It's It's just like. It's not, you know, they're not, uh, it's, you know, on kind of a campground, um, you know, there's not necessarily a hospital next door or even like running water everywhere. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's quite an existence. And so for, for a long time, they, you know, have always had, I mean, this kind of like commitment to helping each other out in all kinds of ways. But, um, a bunch of years ago, they were like, you know what, we should organize this. And they did. Um, and so what they've organized, at first they were like, we raise money for each other when we're in trouble all the time. Like, oh, so-and-so's car broke down. We need to get him to the next fair. Or like, or so-and-so's daughter has leukemia. We need to raise money. But they were like, for this healthcare stuff, you know, we should we should have a system. And so they did. They developed one. And the one part of the system is raising money. Like, so they developed this tradition of, of what they call rallies, where they, they auction off sometimes just junk with a fun story behind it. And they bid it up because they all want to help each other out. Yeah. And um, and that was great. And they were able to, and then they have, then they formed a little tiny micro bureaucracy um, using conference calling lines and email basically to figure out, you know, how to disperse that money. 
So, you know, it's not like you raise it in one place and then only people there get it. It's like, well, no, we should, we should figure out who needs help. And so people have forms to fill out and there's a committee that evaluates things and figures out how to help people. But the most magical part of it is that over like a five-year period, um, you know, the five years before I kind of did this story, they had, I haven't kept track of them since, but I'm sure they're doing the same thing now. But over about five years, they had, they had paid down about $500,000 worth of medical bills, which is really impressive. Um, but what was more impressive was the fact that they had made about $2 million worth of medical bills disappear. Wow. And they had, they had done that by basically employing somebody part-time who was a kind of alum of their community and had, had been in trouble medically on the road and gotten this kind of help to basically like be a resource to teach people how to advocate for themselves. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, when people are really indigent, that means asking simple questions like, do you have a financial aid application? What are you, what do you, do you have a form I can fill out because I'm medically indigent? Mm. And a lot of hospitals especially do have, you know, whole processes set up for that. And a lot of these folks totally qualify. And in, in other cases, you know, where that isn't necessarily an option for an individual, like figuring out what is an option. Like for instance, saying like, well, okay, uh, what if I paid you this much up front? Would that work? <laughs> <laughs> and even looking up the, um, I guess, met, so Medicare posts, if you know where to look, you can find out what Medicare pays for given procedure or given you know, clinical thing in your area. Hmm. And you can look that up and you can say like, uh, so Medicare pays this for hip replacement. Could I pay you that? And, you know, she teaches them also like the how to negotiate, like, yeah, be really nice, be really persistent, be really patient, write everything down, like all that stuff, you know, and, uh, you know, it does not always work. Nothing always works, but everything's worth trying. Mm -hmm. It's kind of what they found. So yeah, mm -hmm. they, they, that's 2 million bucks on a, against, you know, they pay this person like $18,000 a year. Wow. That's awesome. She makes the rest of her living selling real estate. Wow. I, that is just, yeah. it's like, a, it's a hopeful story of people taking this into their own hands. I think that's what I really like about it. it they're not feeling powerless because they are um, advocating for themselves. I love that word too, advocating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah um, that's important. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, this is a show for parents of young children and in yeah. kind of coming up with the, the questions I wanted to ask you, the things I wanted to talk about, I, I started thinking about like two kind of scenarios for, for listeners if, yeah. uh, if they have young kids, which as I said, most of them do. Um, mm -hmm. And the first one was, what, is there anything that parents of young children or children, I suppose, even, even older children should be thinking about in terms of healthcare if their child is well? And then the second mm -hmm. scenario was what, you know, what if something goes wrong in terms of their, or in terms of their child's okay. health or their yeah. health, I guess. But, but I, I, yeah. I started thinking, you know, about their, their children's health. Oh. I mean, the thing that I've learned, and I think we all know this, but it, it's, it's really borne out in, in the reporting that I've done and just what I observed from people tell me, you know, everything completely depends on your individual situation. Right. Mm. So it's like, okay, well, what's your health insurance like? You know, yeah. that's the first, that's your first question. Um, and then like, what, you know, what are the limits of it? And so one, one question that that rolls back to is like, what are your options for health insurance? You know, do you get it from your job? Does your job offer more than one plan? 
Um, if so, how do you evaluate it? And one of the things that I, one of the things that I learned is that it, it, many of us have a really hard time effectively evaluating insurance options when we have them. I talked to this economist who had done this whole study where he basically found that in most in most scenarios, most people, including economists, mm-hmm. when presented with even a simple grid of choices of like this is the premium, this is the deductible, uh, you know, which, which which one do you think is a better deal for you? There they they would create scenarios where like one plan would actually be a better deal than the other if you just knew how to do the math and did it. And he would like put this up on a screen in front of a room full of economists and be like, which one would you choose? And a significant number of hands would go up for the for for a plan that was like actually a bad deal no matter who you were and what your situation wow. was. Wow. It's so confusing. It's super confusing. Yeah. I mean, just like well, just remind yourself like what's a deductible? What's a copay? What's coinsurance? Um, what is an out-of-pocket maximum? And then how do all those things interact with each other? And then uh, there's a question of like, well, okay, you, there might be one set of those figures for people that you see, for providers that are in network. What about providers that are out of network? How does it work there? And which, and, and like, which, which providers do you plan on seeing? And then as someone, and I thought I was smart. Mm-hmm. And I said to this other expert, like, I, I can do this. I can make a spreadsheet. I can do that. He was like, oh, yeah? Well, what about, have you thought about the plans that have a separate deductible for pharmacy or a separate deductible for the ER or for this or for that? And I was like, my spreadsheet just turned into mush. Like, wow. no, I yeah. can't do any of that. Yeah. So it's super, it's super hard. But um, if you have a, um, a choice, you know, you, you want to, you do want to make a, a chart or spreadsheet of some kind that looks at two scenarios. And one of them is like, what am I likely to pay for healthcare, including my share of any insurance premiums in a year that looks normal, where mm-hmm. in, the, in the kind of year that I expect and hope to have, maybe that's a year where like, you just have a well child visit, you know, yeah. and, and, and a well, and you have and a well adult visit. And like you otherwise never see your doctor. Yep. Or maybe you know that like, eh, I got this thing and I see somebody every couple months for it, or whatever it is, like whatever your scenario, or you're like, I'm going to ha- I'm planning to, I'm pregnant. So I think next year I'm going to be giving birth, right? I mean, there's, <laughs> there are things that we know Chances in advance, are good. Like, I'm going to have a hip replacement. Yeah. Like, yeah. Things, things we know in advance. And so, you know, you kind of, you, you, you run one column against that and you try to kind of suss it out. Like what's and a normal can, year? Right. What's a normal year look like for me? For yeah. ne- what does next year look like if it's normal? If nothing unexpected happens, and then you make another column, and it's like, what happens if I get hit by a bus? God forbid. Yeah. You know, or there's something catastrophic, something expensive happens. Yeah. What What happened? What is? What do my? How bad does it get under this plan versus under some other plan? And then you kind of like you, know, you look at those two columns and. Again, when this economist was making his little tests of people to see if they understood how to shop for health, shop for health insurance, there would be plans that were like both more expensive in a normal year and more expensive in a really bad year mm-hmm. for most people. And so, you know, you, if you if, sometimes you can see it. Sometimes it's like if you do the math, you're like, you know what, and <laughs> is less good for me in either scenario. Um, in which case, great. You've, you've just solved a problem. You've like ruled one you've out. solved a problem. Yeah. Like you've gotten a better deal. Um, you may not like the numbers that you see at the bottom of those columns, even with the choice that you make. Yeah. But that's, I think that's the most general purpose advice is like, is, is do 
like when open enrollment time comes along, whether you are shopping on the Obamacare market or get your insurance from an employer or whether there's a couple of different employers in the mix in your household, like make the time, get a babysitter, you know, yeah. like open a beer and open a spreadsheet and be prepared to spend a couple of tedious, uncomfortable, confusing hours yeah. Um, yeah. at least. Uh, but it's worth it because, you know, ultimately that's the different, that, that is your best opportunity you may get yeah. to protect yourself, to kind of figure out well, what's, you know, and, and to know, like, to kind of know what you're up against, right? So you can kind of calibrate the rest of your life around it. Mm -hmm. So you're like, whoa, looking at this, uh, I, I'm going to, I'm planning, I seem to be pregnant. I, I'm going to have a kid next year. Like, this is this is what my insurance looks like. I think we better sock away 30,000 bucks. Yeah. You know, we got to know where that's coming from. Yeah. This is not the year to go to the Caribbean for a month. Right. right? Yeah. 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 Or to, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Or make other expensive decisions. Um, like, and to, just to clarify. So yeah. Obamacare, I like, I know what that is, but mm -hmm. does Obamacare go by different names in different states? Because here in Massachusetts, what we have is something called mass health. That's not what my husband, that's not our insurance plan, but right. that's, is that Obamacare in Massachusetts or is it, have I got two different things? Uh, I believe so. Okay. Yes. And, um, and I, if I understand this right, mass care, so different states configure Obamacare differently. What Obamacare does is it, among the things Obamacare does mm -hmm. is it says like, there will be some place where you can go and anybody can buy insurance. Okay. And so providers will, you know, that they'll make sure that the providers are provide are, are that insurer insurers are offering plans and that those plans are available to anybody to buy and that the government will, if you if you don't make enough money to be actually able to pay the premiums according to the government's version of the math, they'll help you. They'll, they'll kick in some of the premium. Um, and so some states, Massachusetts definitely, and I think maybe California is another, mm -hmm. have, com have, have combined different things, um, including Medicaid, uh, which also got expanded under Obamacare to say basically like, there's a kind of all in one thing. And, you know, one way or the other, we've got a, we've got an option for you. Okay. And at MassCare, according to, I talked to the doctor who runs a podcast in Boston just oh. like a week ago, and he, he was explaining mass care to me. And that's, it sounds like that's a, it's a somewhat more expansive safety net because there are, um, you know, there, there are, there states have different reconfigured versions of all this. Yeah. Yeah. Actually under um, Mitt Romney, our Republican governor mm -hmm. from a mm -hmm. de decade or so ago, 15 years ago, more, maybe, yeah. he, um, he sort of created Mass Health. I don't know what it's. I don't right. know what it was called then, but I understand that it's called Mass Health or the Mass Health Connector or something like that. Yeah. Um, and he, what he created here for Massachusetts has become a model for for uh, eventual Obamacare. Yeah, it was I like the it. it was the blueprint yes. for Obamacare. It was yeah. Romney Care? Yeah. Yeah. Was, Romney Care. That's right. <laughs> I forgot it was called that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it's. E just even that, like even just a definition of terms is something that yeah. you need to sort of sit down and really wrap your head around. So I love yeah. that. I love that advice. Like think, think in advance. This is another way uh, to adult, I guess, to, yeah. to, to do that adulting. And you <laughs> have, so um, annoying, you have a yeah. great episode um, about people who thought they had done the adulting right. And then they ended yeah. up um, getting pregnant. And again, this is another one where I just... This one blew my mind. They they worked hard to make sure that when they 
when they eventually got pregnant that they they knew where they were going to be going the healthcare would be all settled and then it kind of all blew up around them yeah Corey and caitlin uh yes. in in minnesota uh yeah did all of they, they did all of this they sat down for days actually evaluating like what their insurance options were and they knew they wanted to get pregnant so they they chose a plan based to, in choosing a plan they did the math backwards and they were like well then we should decide where we want to have the baby so then we can pick a plan that covers that hospital and so they did that and in fact it took them a long time to get pregnant so they were paying into that plan for like a year and a half you know for more than a year when they got pregnant and then they're just about six months pregnant when they they changed the account out of which they paid their insurance premium and when they did and they felt that the form uh to pay a premium they ended up sending it the, the to the hospital and not to the insurance company because they were both part of the same they had the company. same name that's right had yes. the same name oh. and they were just like and they just had like a you know moment and and got the got the payment sent to the wrong one and i've since been told that 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 company was supposed to have systems in place to kind of figure out what's going on mm-hmm. but they didn't oh. and so the hospital's like i don't know what we're doing with this money here and the oh. insurance side of the organization was like i don't know where these people's payment is yeah and then there was a second hiccup where that account that they were paying out of uh, was had insufficient funds to make their next payment. Yeah. And that uh, they like we have to pay half out of there. And the big irony is a big irony is that a couple days later, that account would have had plenty of money in it, not because they were putting money in at that time, but because the hospital was returning the payment they'd mistakenly sent. Oh my it was gosh. this entire like little Jenga tower yeah. of things going wrong. And, and um, it, and it, it resulted in them getting a notice in the middle of October. All this went down in basically the September in September. And in the middle of October, they get a note from their insurance company saying, Yeah, so we're dropping you. Yeah. We, actually we dropped you as of a month ago by our calculation. And, and she is seven and, months pregnant, right? At that yeah, point, well, six, she's six months pregnant months. at that point. And she's like, oh, and they're like, but we paid. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, but we paid twice. Like, what are you talking about? And they're, you know, they go on this entire merry-go-round. And it's, it's in fact, a couple of days later, they get the note from the hospital saying like, oh, you know, we sent you that money back. So we don't know what to do with it. And they're like, oh, well, that explains something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're just like, what is going on? Um, and they can't get a straight answer from anybody. And nobody at the insurance company will talk to them. And uh, this goes on for months and months and they eventually get help and and to the point where they after a few weeks they realize they're getting nowhere and they're like well okay great well the baby's not due till january we have signed up for insurance for the next year uh i guess we're rolling the dice for the next couple of months and we're just gonna call before every prenatal visit and see how much it costs and maybe it'll end up being less than the premiums we were gonna pay I really hope it works out. And it doesn't because they uh, there's bleeding yeah, and they go to the hospital. They go to the hospital twice. They go to two different hospitals. There's yeah. ambulances. It's like all the worst. And so they're looking at like $30,000 in medical bills without uh, any insurance standing between them. Yeah. And eventually somebody from the state does kind of intervene, but only kind of halfway effectively. And they're like, well, we can get you uh, into some other plan. And they're like, but none of the other plans cover both the hospitals we've already been to. Like, this is still going to be, you know, like $10,000 or more for yeah. us. And I'm like, well, it's the best we can do. Um, it was just awful. And then there's a bit of a happy ending. The baby's born yeah. in January on schedule, very healthy. Everybody's fine. I meet them at the end of March and debrief the whole thing with them. And the next day, the end of the day, having 
digested my notes, I call the insurance company. Or I call them in the morning, but I talk to them at the end of the day, they call me back. Mm -hmm. And I tell the insurance company, this is what's going on. This is, this is the story that I have. And the insurance, insurance company's like, we'll get back to you tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> but they don't. And instead, uh, I hear back from Corey and Caitlin and they're like, guess who just called us telling us they want to make things right. It's the wow. old insurance company. And so they, um, you know, last I heard, they're working with that old insurance company to do a bunch of very complicated unwinding to kind of undo every trend because all these transactions had cleared, yeah. you know, and the, the, the stopgap insurance they'd had had like paid a bunch, had paid a bunch of claims. And now like the doctor's offices have to work with that old insurance and like give that money back and the, and hit up the new insurance company for that money. Like it's going to take a long time oh, wow. before it's all unwound. And these people, I mean, they did everything right. They were so thoughtful and they followed up like maniacs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I... You know, and they, and, and, you know, they ultimately, you know, that got them to like, that did knock down their kind of problem from like a $30,000 problem to a $10,000 problem. But that's still a pretty terrifying $10, number. $10,000. Yeah. It's With a, a new lot baby. of money. Yep. And yeah. And, um, and they put, you know, an amount of labor into it. That's just unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And I mean, that's so a couple of things come up as you're talking. One is they did their due diligence, just like you're saying that, our listeners yeah. need to do, you know, you, you, you want to understand what you're going into. And then, yeah. and it sounds like what they did that was, that was right was they didn't give up in terms of following up. And I mean, you, you describe on the podcast, how on the episode, how they are, I mean, they're, they're having a baby for goodness sakes. Yeah. Like this is not <laughs> what you want to be doing. At least it was a happy, you know, in the, the anticipated event was a happy one. I, I can't imagine yes. doing uh, like I, what I'd love to talk about is, um, just thoughts for people who are going through something that's scary with their child and like how do you keep up the the hope and the and the the do, how do you do your due diligence when you're in a place where something goes wrong you know what i mean yeah. that's i i, I mean it's, it's a re i mean i don't i don't i mean you know there's no magic bullet. this is where it's really like this is that gets to bedrock right it's just like yeah. don't give up yeah like, don't give up and it's i think i think i think that is a that's a that that is a thing that a lot of parents find themselves, you know, doing one way or another. That that's a common experience of being a parent. It's like you hit your bedrock and you're like, okay, I've never been here before. Giving up's not an option. What am I going to do? Yeah. You kind of find you dig, you know, you find a way to dig deeper. You find a way to look to ask people for help you haven't thought to ask. Some people, you know, find layers of faith. People just I mean. But it's it's one of those moments when you really, I mean, I, what the scenario you're describing is is a nightmare, and um, and the only way out is through. Yeah, yeah, um, and and I, I love that you know they've got you as a resource, right? <laughs> I mean, I think that's so good. That's one of one of my favorite things about the about what you're doing. It's not even just the show. It almost feels a little bit like a movement to me because because I listen to the show with all of my problems and all of my frustrations and 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 I'm sure that there are thousands of other people doing exactly the same thing and we all feel like we're sort of participating in something that could be helpful and that's there if if like if somebody in a really dire situation like like Corey and Caitlin 
could call you or write to you and say like, hey, this is happening to me, you know, you would have some ideas for them. <laughs> well, I hope I hope so. I mean, you know, I honestly, you know, I hear from a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Corey and Caitlin were some of the first people who wrote in when the show came in. Their story was so dramatic. Yeah. I was like, I'm totally following up on this. Yeah. But yeah. like, I, I mean, I wish I wish I was. I mean, I, I mean, and we like stories like send them because I'm very interested. But like, you know, it's one of my, I'm pitching my colleagues right now. Like we're in the middle of season two mm-hmm. and I'm pitching them like, well, what's season three going to be about? How are we going to address it? Mm. And, and this is kind of what I'm thinking is that like, this is a totally not elevator ready pitch, <laughs> but it's basically this. It's like the cavalry's not coming. So what can we do to help ourselves and each other out? Like, what can we do? Because there isn't, there isn't a switch. No one's going to hit the switch. Yeah. Even if, I mean, if you, if if you think like, well, single payer, like we got to have single payer, like, and you know, I, I, I think that's an idea worth looking into pretty, pretty closely, but you know, one, well, that's at least one election away. Yeah. And two, um, you know, it's unlikely to get like, I just think about Obamacare, which attempted to make a bunch of uh, big reforms. And there are things that I think people tend, and I appreciate, right? That like expanded Medicaid, lots of people now have some kind of insurance that didn't have any access to before. It, it, it made it made insurers offer insurance to everybody, even if you had a pre-existing condition, that's mm. huge, Yep. right? Tons of big things that people, and there's, and it's, you know, it's, 15, 1600 page law, there's tons of things tucked in there. Um, many of them are consumer protections. And, and yet, you know, the day that we're talking, um, a, a, an appeals court heard arguments about whether or not the law is constitutional, like all this, you know, th- that there's still the law could be overturned. Yeah, tomorrow. because there are there are political actors who are like, we want to overturn it. Yeah. And there are other actors who might want to overturn it. There are you know, a, a couple, a year or two ago, right? I guess two, two years ago, we were all, that summer we were all in tender. was like, is Congress going to overturn the Affordable Care Act? I mean, that law passed, you know, what, nine years ago? Yeah. And here it is nine years later, like there are still holes in the safety net that that law tried to create. And there's still lots of struggle and the struggle about whether to even have that law or not. Is still with it's us. Still, yeah, and then, and then, you, so you have that, and you also have a little bit of like a death by a thousand cuts. Where, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so I uh, went to a well care visit, you know, a, a physical mm-hmm. for my for myself, and I got a, a letter. Um, I had to sign to acknowledge that I had received this information, basically saying if the doctor treats you in any way <laughs> you will, no longer a well visit you, you gotta exactly pay exactly <laughs> i was like so you think you know i'm going into this and i'm yeah. like i'm going to talk about this problem and the mole yeah. and the blah 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 and then yeah. and then you sort of get this feeling of like wait a minute if i do that like i'm opening up a whole new can of worms here so so there's right. there's so many uh yeah. you know there's so many different um i i guess as you say the cavalry's not coming and, and to me what in, when you said that initially, my first thought was, well, we have to be the cavalry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, got to stitch together our own cavalry. Right? Yeah. 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 And um, I mean, I, our time is short. And, and yeah. really what I guess the, the things I wanted to end on was, uh, first of all, are you are you hopeful 
that we will find a way out, like through. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, we will in the sense that like we'll survive and persevere. Yeah. Right. I visited. So for the last episode of this, um, I mean, one of the things that this idea that the cavalry's not coming kind of comes from is I, I, I visited last week for our, for our final episode of this season, a clinic in Goshen, Indiana, which is in kind of like northeasterly Indiana. Mm -hmm. It's a smallish town. And it's this clinic that serves a poor population. And they do remarkable work. It's a remarkable place. Um, it is small. It really, and there's a, there, it, the reasons it really can't get much bigger. And within the sphere of, of the community they serve, they, they look at every problem as one they can really address. The director talks all about sufficiency. There is sufficiency that, they'll, that by their determination and creativity, they'll find a way and they do. And it's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and there are limits. You can't hit copy and paste on that thing. And you can't grow it. Mm. Um, and I said to him, you know, I really like this guy. And I, I said to him, you know, I, I hear as the show goes on, I hear from more and more people with problems that are just really terrifying. Yeah. And, and make me mad, you know, <laughs> and, and, <laughs> yeah. and unhappy. And, uh, and I said, you know, I just, you, you know, I just kind of put it to him. He was like, well, he told me a story about a conference he'd gone to a long, long time ago. And then in one workshop was led by a woman who was about asset-based community development, it was led by a woman who led some public housing group. And she said, if there's one thing you take away from this, I want you to remember this, that whatever you look for and focus on will multiply. Mm. And if you look for the problems in your community and the things to address, you will find them and they will multiply. And, and best case scenario, you'll create a program for everyone. And best case scenario, you'll have a lot of programs that may work very well, do good work addressing these problems, and your community will still be as fragmented and messed up and poor as it was before. But if you look for the things that that do that are real pieces of hope and change, um, that, that really are transformation, that are transformative in some way, that are, are about growth, you'll find that they also multiply. Oh, I love that. I have goosebumps. Yeah. I, I I think so. That really resonates for me, as a as a as a parent coach, as an educator mm -hmm. for parents, because mm -hmm. the same can be said with kids, right? If we yeah. if yeah. we focus continually on the negative, if if we if every time they do something wrong, we call them out on it, or we tell them to stop, mm -hmm. or we draw so much attention to the t tantrums or whatever, um, we see more of them. They multiply. But if we instead starve those things that we don't want to see of our focus and focus mm -hmm. on the on the positives on the things that we do want to see that's what we end up seeing and it feels like such a leap of faith mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's so it's crucial it's probably the one crucial i would say the most important factor um in fact, I would even say that in terms of so my own situation in terms of getting better. Um, mm -hmm. Five years ago, mm -hmm. I started to see a psychologist because I couldn't use my hands at all. And mm -hmm. I was ready, you know, to walk out into the street and be hit by a bus. Mm -hmm. And um, the first thing he said to me was, well, the first thing he said to me was, oh, my gosh, I can't imagine how awful that must feel. And I thought, this is my guy. <laughs> he's 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 he's. he's communicating exactly like he knows how I feel and he wants to help with that basically but when we were when we started working together one of the first things he said was the problems are are not all in your uh 
limbs. The problem is in your is in your mind is, is in your thinking. And I was like, what? That is BS. <laughs> like I don't believe that at all. And I and what happened as we started working together was I realized how incredibly true that was. Like there would not be a podcast if I didn't have the tendon disorder. Because I had mm-hmm. to, I had to sit, my husband and a friend, uh, particularly one friend said, okay, you've got all this time, you know, yes, you can't fold laundry, you can't chop vegetables, you can't do all the things that normal parents can do, but you can still do things like what can you do? And mm-hmm. that, uh, that is why we have, we turned out okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would never have happened if I didn't take that leap of faith and try to think focus on something positive. I mean, I feel like it's so, this is all, this is just really resonant for me right hmm. now. No, so, uh, you know? You. Yeah, that's a great story. Yeah, it's, I think yeah. it's true of, of more things than just healthcare and child rearing. It's, it's, it's true of, you know, we, we got to focus on what we focus on multiplies. I love that. I, I think that's a great way to, to, uh, to end. I, I, the last thing I wanted to ask was like, uh, and I feel like we've just answered this, right? Is uh, I want I wondered if you had any thoughts on what we, our listeners, me, you know, us, what what can we do to kind of work our way out of this? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's you know, don't give up is the main thing, and look for look for the next step you can take. I mean, there are there are things we do we do there are battles we can't win. Yeah. Um. So, but like, don't give up on the big picture. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There are battles we can't win, but the, but we got to keep fighting the war. Yeah. Yeah. And hang on to that. You know, hang yeah. on to that. There's a lot of people fighting with us. Right. And pulling, pulling for us and, and, and walking with us. Yeah. That there's just a lot. Yeah. There's just a lot. I mean, struggle, struggle is real and struggle is eternal. And that is, you know, you, you talked about faith and this is, you know, the guy who uh, runs his clinic, it you know, comes out of a faith tradition and, and he says it, you know, and he says, you know, my faith is I'm trying to live into that story, the story mm. of finding, looking for things that I want to multiply. I'm, I'm trying to live into that story rather than the other. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. because it can be really easy to be pulled under by the by the negatives if, you know, unless you're hanging on. <laughs> it's yeah, I, I wish I mean, it feels, you know, part of me is like, that feels corny, Dan, but like, whatever, this is what we got. Yeah. And I think the the human inclination to um human tendency to look for hope to look for the thing to look for the next thing you know which is different from denial yes um that's it's a real thing like that 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 and it's and it's a useful thing like i've i know i've thought in my life like oh you know depression is like a rational worldview Mm. but it's not like the only rational worldview (laughs) and it's definitely not the most helpful worldview yeah so I, I've been accused of being Pandora by my uh, my 14 year old. He's like, he's like, how do you always look at the positive? And I'm like, well, it's not really it's different than that. I don't feel Pandora like I I, hmm. I acknowledge I understand the negative forces. But um, but I find that it it's been incredibly helpful in my own life to to find, you know, the positive things, not to not to not see the other things, but to focus to choose what I focus on. I think it's a matter of choice. So, 
Yeah. Erin, it, it's great to talk with you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, Dan Weissman, it has been such a pleasure talking to you. I want to say thank you for helping us feel at least like we have company, <laughs> like we're all in this together. <laughs> thank you for staying positive. Um, your show means so much. Everybody, you can find Dan at armandalegshow.com. And while you are there, you got to check out the show's Patreon page because actually just the Patreon page is awesome. Um, oh. if, if listeners support you in Patreon, do they still get their names read out on the show? Is that still yes. happening? Oh, God, that's so <laughs> oh, yeah, cool. definitely. It's my favorite part. <laughs> You've read like hundreds of people's names. Oh, my God. I feel, I feel so good. It's <laughs> Thank awesome. You. I just it's really feel so awesome. grateful when you even say that. Yes. Oh, my I, gosh. It's so cool. It's so cool. Yeah. And thank you so much for listening today. Uh, if you are out there listening, you can find me at weturnedoutokay.com. You can sign up for the weekly parenting newsletter by going to weturnedoutokay.com slash weekly. I am on Instagram at Twitter at weturnedoutokay. And I have got finally a special thanks today for our producer, the man who, among much else, provides health care for our family, among much else. He He's the 22-time winner of the Husband of the Year Award, Benjamin Culp. Thanks again so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to We Turned Out Okay. I want to date to Australia. Find us on the web at weturnedoutok.com, where you'll find show notes and more. What do you call cheese that's not yours? Nacho cheese. And remember, we only go around once. To be the best parents we can be, let's relax and enjoy the ride. I want to pee in the woods. Theater, 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 theater,